0: True Crime Medieval, 1,000 Years of People Behaving Badly. I'm Ann Brannan, and I'm your host in Albuquerque. And I'm
1: Michelle Butler in Tuscaloosa. Hey, um, you know, I should have asked you this before we started recording, but
0: what birds am I hearing in the background? Uh, You're hearing the parakeets, because I am not in the room with the parrots, because the parrots, if we are doing the podcast, scream continually, but the parakeets are simply making a sweet little noise, which I will probably leave in. I think this is the first time they've shown up on the podcast. Yeah, actually. this is the first time I've recorded in here. But I'm recording in here because after the knee surgery, I need to be able to put my foot up. And so, and so, and, and so I can't do it in the other room. So anyway, so we're with the parakeets. Okay. The parakeets are not obnoxious. Whereas Blanca, as you know, screams continually, and Lily says, hello, 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 continually, and it's really hard to have the podcast. Today, on True Crime Medieval, where, you know, people are behaving badly, we are talking about the time that Hugh DeLacy was assassinated at Duro Abbey in Ireland in July of 1186. That's what we're doing. now, Now, I want to stop... Know- I want to tell you, quite frankly, that the crime today is the assassination of Hugh DeLacy. But the reason that the assassination of Hugh De Lacy is on our list is that it allows Michelle to talk about Trim Castle.
1: That's it. It does. <laughs> this is totally, I have been waiting for this for, for a long time because I adore Trim Castle.
0: Well, it kind of makes up for, you know, you put saffron on the list and, the, you know, the time that that guy got burnt at the stake for adulterating saffron, you put that on the list and then it turned out to be one that made you sad because the research was not fun. So you put this on the list and it did not make you sad. So, But was, I knew that getting to talk about saffron would make you happy, so I put yeah, it on Oh, the my God. I was so happy to talk about saffron. I just loved it. Saffron. Hugh de Lacy, we now go into our our subject, Hugh de Lacy was from an Anglo-Norman family that had been established in the Midlands of England after the conquest and then in the Welsh marches. So they're part of the marchers' lords. And Hugh had become the head of the de Lacy's after his older brother died, and he was ruthless in acquiring power. He was just he was really focused on on taking everything that he possibly could. He disobeyed royal laws by clearing um, royal forests that when he didn't have permission, and he denied services of various sorts to services and rights to religious houses and the bishop. And he was constantly fighting the Welsh. And Henry II took him to Ireland with took him to Ireland in 1171 when Henry went there to try and settle things down because you remember the Anglo-Normans had invaded Ireland a few years earlier because they'd been invited by Dermot McMurrow. We refer you to our earlier podcast on the crime of Dermot McMurrow inviting the Normans into Ireland. Dermot McMurrow had invited the Normans in to help because he was warring with other Irish kings. And Henry was going on in just this few years later to try and curb the power of uh, Richard de Clare, known as Strongbow, who had been the leader of the Anglo-Norman invasion and had married into one of the strongest of the royal families and was making great headway toward becoming one of the kings of Ireland himself. It just, Henry was not interested in this happening. So Henry was successful in bringing Strongbow into line and he got the Irish Kings to be agreeable for at least at the moment, you know, none of, there's, there's at this point, no peace in Ireland that lasted very long at all, but at any rate for a little bit, but then he had to go back to England on other business. And so he, what he did was he gave Hugh de Lacey who had gone with him, the governance of Dublin which was the most important town the Anglo-Normans had, the stronghold of the Anglo-Normans, and the county of Meath, which was not a stronghold of the Anglo-Normans because they really did not have a foothold there at all, and it was being fought over by the Irish and the Anglo-Normans and everything. And so that was a lot of power, but it meant that de Lacy was really having to pay attention because he had to hold Dublin and also bring Meath into the Anglo-Norman realm of control. And Tiernan O'Rourke, who was currently ruling Meath, was formidable and and untrustworthy. O'Rourke had like changed allegiances amongst the Irish kings and the Anglo-Normans, amongst the Irish kings for 50 years and back and forth with the Anglo-Normans since they got there. And O'Rourke met with de Lacey. Cause they needed to make an agreement. So they met and they kind of fell out and it ended with O'Rourke getting beheaded. Okay. All right. So, you know, his body was displayed near Dublin and his head was displayed over the gate at Dublin Castle. So as, you know, to cause the Irish to to be careful, to think that we maybe should better be careful of the Normans. Yeah, like that's going to work with the Irish. The Irish were really, really angry about this. But de Lacey had gained control of Meath. He would have to keep it. But there you are. What happened then Instead of de Lacy being given a chance to kind of like take care of all these things that he'd been given in this very war ridden country. He was called back to England and Normandy, however, to administer his lands and serve the king and go into Normandy fighting, defending a a town that was held by the Anglo-Normans, but the French king was um, attacking. And so, so he was busy for a while. So that was a good time then for the Irish to devastate Meath. So they did that. Um, and that was led by Rory O'Connor, the High King. And Declare, Strongbow, who was in who was still around, could couldn't help Meath because he was busy fighting the Irish in the lands that he was holding. So the De Lacey's steward in Meath, his name was Hugh Terrell, abandoned the castle and he fled to Dublin, and the Irish razed the castle. And, but that gave Declare a chance to get to Dublin and defend it before O'Connor got there. So that was useful. But at any rate, the Castle of Trim sort of got sacrificed for Dublin at that point. But uh, Michelle will tell us more about that later when she focuses on the Castle of Trim, one of her favorite topics. Okay, and so De Lacy went back to Ireland because oh no, oh no, this is one of the problems with having lands in like Normandy and England and Ireland. I mean, you know, medieval
1: lords spent a hell of a lot more time traveling than what we assume.
0: Yeah, the ones that were part of collections of fam- of, of people who were who were busy with colonialism early colonialism and suddenly that they had to keep going all these different places because
1: yeah it's it's like working for a company that has now it would be like working for a company now that has headquarters in Canada but then it also has holdings in China and it also has holdings in Egypt and you have to be going between those places yes yes
0: Yes. 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 It's it's much like that. So he's busy. Anyway, he he had to go back to Ireland to try and bring things back into, I guess, what passes for balance at this time. He rebuilt Trim Castle. Michelle will tell us more about that later. And then he left again to go take care of his holdings in England and Normandy. And King Henry made a treaty with O'Connor in 1175, That's the Treaty of Windsor, if you want to take notes. And the Irish left the Anglo-Normans alone. The the Irish left the Anglo-Normans alone for a little bit, you know, like a couple of years or something. But in 1177, Henry divided the Anglo-Norman-Irish holdings into three parts. Power was shifting at that point. He had to do something because Strongbow declared had died. And so there's this movement. We get into various sorts of power. And so he divided everything up into three parts. And de Lacy was to administer his third from Dublin, giving up his, uh, he gave up some of his major English holdings. And he's basically, he's supposed to stay in Dublin. Okay. DeLacy, you stay there. After some pushing back and forth between O'Connor and DeLacy, which I will not go into, uh, Hugh married, and this was his second marriage, his first wife is dead at this point. Rose N'Connor, O'Connor's daughter. uh uh-huh. mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's the prospect then of DeLacy gaining the power of one of the of one of the kings of Ireland. Ah, and which is exactly what Henry had taken him there to keep Strongbow from getting and declare had married Rose without the king's permission and the potential power was immense. Henry demoted him in 1181. He remained chief governor of Ireland, though there was someone there overseeing his activities, and but he was not the main dude. But De Lacy And let's not be surprised about this. De Lacy continued to gain power, both through diplomacy and battle, because, you know, he was De Lacy. Henry eventually sent his son John, who will later be King John. Henry sent his son John to be the Lord of Ireland in 1185. This did not go well. John offended the Irish. He offended the Anglo-Normans. He lost most of his army in battle, and then he headed back to England after only a year Blaming his failure at getting anything done at all on De Lacy, although really, as far as we could tell, De Lacy had not actually done anything to John. He had just kind of stepped back and let John ruin things himself. He was young at this point, but he wasn't any better than he was going to be later. It was different from like Henry VIII was actually nice, a great guy, and then he became a horrible psychopath. But John was just awful throughout his life. Who knows what De Lacy would have gotten up to next, but we don't, because in the next year De Lacy was over at Duro Abbey, where he was sacrilegiously building another castle when a local young stonemason pulled out an axe that he apparently had hidden under his tunic. I'm unclear on how this works and why, but at any rate, he cut off de Lacy's head while he de Lacy was bending over some stonework. Or Another story, De Lacy was accidentally killed by a falling stone. History really favors the losing the head story. So that's the one that we go with. And why was he assassinated? Well, perhaps the fox Okotarni, who had lost lands to De Lacy, had instigated. Or perhaps it was all about desecrating a religious site founded by St. Columba by building a military castle on the site. He was dead at any rate. Prince John was sent back over to take his lands. De, de Lacy's son Walter succeeded him. Walter had helped Hugh De Lacey, his father, build Trim Castle, and he was married to the daughter of William de Bray's, King John's trusted companion who became his mortal enemy. We refer you to two of our former po- podcasts. One, where King John starves William de Brace's wife and son to death in Corfe Castle, and the other, in which William de Brace helps King John kill King John's nephew, Arthur. John invaded and took Walter's lands and Meath, along with about 400 of Walter's soldiers. But then in 1215, John would be besieged by his barons. Those many, Some of you will remember this date— because that's when he's going to be signing the Magna Carta and so he started working on getting de Lacy's his lands back as he's trying to get barons to not hate his guts and later de Lacy was going to join Geoffrey de Morisco and Richard de Burgh against Rory O'Connor's son who was king of Connacht this was before the de Moriscos fell from their shaky sort of grace we refer you to our previous podcast concerning Geoffrey de Morisco's son who became a pirate. <laughs> These people. <laughs> I know. We're doing a thousand years of European history, but we just keep ending up back at the Normans because on a crime per person ratio. <laughs> yeah, it's the Anglo Normans. Uh, uh, yeah. It's really the Anglo Normans all the time. Walter had a son, Gilbert, but Gilbert died before him. So when Walter died, his lands were divided between Gilbert's daughters, Mar- Maud and Marjorie. And Walter's younger brother had had no male heirs. And so that was the end of the De Lacey male line in Ireland. The De Laceys continued on. They continued on in England and Normandy. I don't actually know about now that I come to think of it. So that is about Hugh De Lacey, who built Trim Castle, which then got raised and then he rebuilt. And our crime is that Hugh De Lacey got assassinated by some guy with an axe.
1: Which is actually not at all. I mean, in some ways, he kind of stands for a lot of these Anglo-Norman lords who, shockingly enough, as hated colonizers, were more than on average assassinated. (laughs) I I know that that... Like yeah. is a shocking sort of thing, but the Irish hated them and took every opportunity to sink an axe into their heads if they could possibly do so.
0: You no, know, we're not surprised that DeLacy got assassinated. Kind of like at any kind of given point along this little trajectory of his life, which I have given you, he could have gotten assassinated, but that was when he did. And so that's our crime. But the real point of the podcast is that Michelle is now going to tell you all about Trim Castle. Because Hugh DeLacy built it and he got assassinated. That's the whole thing. He did. And the way that he lived is directly related to the castle he built. Okay. So there really is a connection other than the fact that he built it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. No, it really, Trim, the reason I wanted to talk about Trim is that Trim Castle is an Anglo-Norman castle on steroids. (laughs) I mean, Anglo-Norman castles are already defensive-minded. So if you go and if you go and look at the keep in the Tower of London, you know, or or any of the other Anglo-Norman castles, they're already defensive-minded. But the ones that they built in Ireland are next level because there's active hostilities happening at all times.
0: Okay. Up, up. Now, I I need to ask something here because I know that the preponderance of Anglo-Norman castles are concentrated in Wales, where there was also active hostility. But what you're telling me is that it was worse in Ireland than it was in Wales? I don't know if I would say that. I just don't
1: know the Welsh castles as well. Mm. I'm thinking about them in comparison to the ones that the ones that William built in England, where he was wanting to hold England, but he had so successfully killed the English nobility at the battle of hastings that there was much less resistance. Okay. It is true that wales that that the work that they were trying the work, they the colonization, the conquest they were trying to do there did not go well either. No it did not. So it would be interesting to look at the welsh anglo-norman castles in comparison to the irish ones.
0: Surely somebody has done this.
1: That is not a comparison. I personally, I don't know Wales as well as I should. I know that Wales has more castles per square mile than any other place on earth, which tells you a hell of a lot about the how difficult the conquest was there i think though that one of the reasons that the anglo-norman castles in ireland are so so defensive minded is that there was not going to be reinforcements coming from anywhere if you got attacked if you got attacked you had to hold out on your own
0: okay that actually that actually really does make sense it was there were ways in which it was Places where it was hard to get into Wales, but it was certainly easier to get into Wales than it was to get into Ireland from England. Yeah. Okay. All right. But, you know, um, one of the things going on with subjugating the Welsh is that the same kind of issues with the, the people who are there, the Irish or the Welsh... Being at war amongst themselves was going. You know, it's it's the same both places. Yeah,
1: and of course they had originally built this wooden ringwork castle, which is essentially a moat and bailey castle. Only they don't have the moat, so the, not not a moat, not a moat, um, a mot. The inner piece, the inner piece is not built on a raised. That's really the difference between a ring work and a, a, a Mont Bailey castle. And archaeology has discovered the remnants of the wooden castle. The, the castle is actually mentioned. There's a 13th century Norman French poem called The Song of Dermot and the Earl, which tells the story about the Norman invasion of Ireland. I can't imagine I didn't find this until now. How did this happen? How did this happen? Yeah. That I didn't find this until now, but it tells the story. The Earl is strongbow. The Earl of the title is Strongbow. So here's a little quote from it: Hugh de Lacy fortified a house at Trim and dug a ditch around it and enclosed it within a stockade. Within the house, he then placed great knights and barons. So you know the building of Trim is in is in the poem. I didn't actually go read the whole poem, but it sounds awesome. It's not contemporary,
0: but it's within a hundred
1: years of the invasion because it's it's early 13th century.
0: So Trim is the castle, is the Anglo Norman castle that was built in Meath, which was so problematic and there's so much fighting there. Okay, yeah, and it's really humongous. It was really big because it had to be heavily fortified. Because it is, it's not like it's way out in the boonies, but it's it's a little like east northeast of Dublin.
1: It is the largest Anglo Norman castle in Ireland. After Roy O'Connor burnt the wooden. Stockade, they rebuilt in stone. And they rebuilt first the keep in the middle, which is kind of standard. It's both for residence and for defense. It's a very nice example of the kind of cutting cutting edge technology that's going on in Anglo-Norman castle building at that time. So this is slightly later than the Tower of London, and the design is slightly different. So this is a Greek cross- shaped keep rather than the tower of London is a very kind of like it's a box.
0: It is so square. Yeah. It's a box.
1: This mm-hmm. is much more kind of intricately designed, but the design has to do with a balance of it being a residence where you actually want to live because it's not just a barracks. You're, you're going to be living there and a, a defense, but defense is first.
0: A cross shape would mean that you had more angles from which to shoot arrows right Mm -hmm. but the cruciform
1: pieces don't stick out real far let me find when you look at it it looks like a keep Mm -hmm. but it it does have more angles and those angles would have had um what what are those things called um it's called defensive hoarding where in those corners you would have wooden platforms that hang outside that you can get into from the castle Uh you have ladders and to get down into them and that extends your range so that you can you can shoot arrows even further Okay, got it. And you can drop things on people.
0: <laughs> yes, dropping is also sometimes useful. <laughs> so Although those you're kind of out there, aren't you? Because they also are shooting things. Yeah. Well, they're in,
1: they're enclosed. they they look like little rooms that are like attached to oh, the outside. Oh, okay. right. They're little wood. They're little wooden. They almost look like little cabins attached to the outside, and they're so that you can get out there. It's just another way to take the battle to them. Right. So unless you're getting hit with fire, you're protected. Yeah. Yes, they've got massive sellers to have lots of stores because siege warfare is the thing. Once you have castles, you have siege warfare. They've got a rainwater system to have, so they've got cisterns and a rainwater collection system, which you wouldn't think you would need since you're right beside the River Boyne. But who wants to be the one having to go out <laughs> and collect water from the river? you you, you need to collect the rainwater you would enter the keep on the second floor via wooden stairs that would be burnt away and if you got attacked the very first thing you do is burn the stairs Uh uh-huh and you know
0: now your life sucks if you're the attacker because you have to figure out (laughs) how to get up to the second floor you'd have ladders inside for getting down later
1: yeah later you they replace those with stone stairs that has a drawbridge at the top to control entry. Because that's the other thing about this castle is that because it's used for so long. So we we looked at a different castle earlier when we were talking about the guy who became the pirate, Demoresco. His castle was kind of a snapshot in time of mm-hmm. Norman Anglo-Norman castle technology at that particular moment, but then it was abandoned. So it's a really nice frozen in moment time. Trim shows the change over time because it's used for so long.
0: Oh, I love that. I always, I really love buildings that show change over time.
1: King John's castle in Limerick is like this too. King John's castle in Limerick actually ended up being used for significant battles during the 17th century. Wow. So it's uh, canon and stuff. Trim was actually occupied by Cromwell, but it was in disrepair enough by that point that it wasn't a fabulous place to actually set up shop. So from the time it's built in the late 12th, early 13th century, and then into the 17th century, it is in use.
0: That's a long time that and is, For a building to be in use. Who did it belong to? Did it belong to the DeLacy's? It belonged to the DeLacy's, and then like to either Maude or Marjorie? Did it keep going on through?
1: It's owned by the DeLacy's, and then it's owned by the granddaughters. The dra- granddaughter marries a man whose last name is uh, de Grenville. Uh-huh. Then it goes to the Mortimers, which is very interesting. The, the, Mortimers. Mortimers, the Mortimers have it for a long time.
0: The Mortimers have everything for a long
1: time. Yeah, it's really fascinating. Let me get to that piece of the book. I have Oh. You have old... books on Trim Castle. I have a book on Trim that I bought at Trim. Oh my goodness.
0: <laughs> Lucky girl.
1: So, the Mortimers have it. It comes in the Mortimers have Trim for 120 years because it comes to them from the granddaughter Matilda and Geoffrey de Grenville have a son named Peter de Grenville and his daughter Joan marries Roger Mortimer who Got becomes it. the Earl of March. The Mortimers is one of these places where we see Trim. There's a recurring theme with Trim as being this place that English lords, it, it, it's, it's used for the administration of their domain. So it's a feudal administrative center. But it Also is this bolt hole that English lords keep well stocked and defensive for when they get in trouble in England and need to leave for a little while because the heat is on.
0: Right. Which often happens.
1: It happens a lot in the history of trim. William de Browse has to flee after he gets on the wrong side of John. He has to flee. Guess where he comes? (laughs) Roger Mortimer ends up having to really make the castle defensive because there are, there's a whole extended family of DeLacy's still in the area who are kind of cheesed that the castle has come to him. He's seen as an interloper. So he has to keep it in good repair. He ends up needing to go there for a little while as a bolt hole (laughs) because he's on the wrong side of, I don't know. (laughs) He's on the wrong side of an invading Scot. He's fighting against the Scots. The Scots, the Bruce's, bring the Scots to Ireland. You know, this is the brother of Robert the Bruce. Anyway, he ends up in trouble. This is the one who works with Isabella to assassinate Edward the Second. Yes. So he has to go. <laughs> he has to spend some time in trim. <laughs> he ends up being captured but he had to spend some time in trim. One of the next ones with Richard the 2nd ends up having to come back to trim. So so it's just fascinating that it has this kind of dual role as it's really important for Ireland and the and the administration of English government in Ireland, but it's also this just in case plan for these English lords.
0: That is that is actually very interesting.
1: <laughs> just in case. As the castle grows, right? So you have the keep in the middle, they built that first, and then you have the two lines of walls. And every time it grows how you get into the castle becomes more and more complicated like your ability to control who is coming in so here is a i'm going to read you from the little guidebook that describes how it works once you have the two layers of of um, curtain walls entry to the castle was a progress through a series of controlled compartments An elaborate system of bridges, gates, overhead traps, and observation loops was designed to allow the garrison total control over access. At the end of a steep ramp, the obstacles of the outer tower were encountered while being watched from the upper floor of this tower those seeking entrance crossed a pit before reaching the drawbridge beyond the bridge was the tall gate tower strongly defended by a portcullis with a heavy wooden gate blocking entrance to the central passage in turn flanking guardhouses protected the passage and there was another wooden gate before entry to the castle yard so wow to the best of my knowledge trim was never taken from the outside the original wooden castle was burned and Oliver Cromwell was able to occupy the site because the defenders had left. They had actually done damage to the castle. They had, they had torn the battlements down before they left to make it so that it was not useful to him. Because by that point, uh, after the Mortimers die out in the 15th century, the trim goes into royal hands which is how it ends up being in the 17th century, part of this fight between the royalists and the parliamentarians. The defenders abandoned the castle before Cromwell got there, and they did a bunch of damage to it, so it wasn't useful to him as a defensive site. But as far as I know, Trim was never taken from the outside.
0: It's got to be one of the few castles that has never been taken.
1: They, are, they were not fooling around. You always have to be careful. Everything you learn from a tour guide at a place, you have to kind of like asterisks because sometimes they tell you colorful fibs. Oh, I have heard so many, yes. But according to, according to the tour guides at Trim, Trim was designed so that in a worst case scenario, you could defend it with two people. <laughs> but according to them, you never got, they never got down below eight.
0: Basically, you really could do it with just however many people you needed to take care of that last door. You've got the arrow
1: slits. You've got the spiral staircases that are in the opposing corners. They're nowhere near the door you come in. When you first come into the keep, you've got this room that is kind of pleasantly called a vestibule. But what it really is, is that room we're going to murder you in if you've somehow gotten here and we didn't want you here. And the doors are catty corner from each other and they (laughs) they open (laughs) you they're very hard to open (laughs) from that that part you know they're barred on the other side (laughs) so even if you get in there the door that you need to go through is barred on the other side so they have to decide to let you and it it, they they i'm just it was a life-changing experience to to tour trim it was similar to me when i toured um the, the tower of london for the first time and took took my little midwestern self and got an idea of what it means for acres and acres to be behind walls but trim is so much about we're we're surrounded by people who want to kill us <laughs> that we are taking that seriously after what happened with cromwell you know the, the tower of london was continuously occupied so it got to move into that kind of 18th century and 19th century splendor but but trim after cromwell falls into a picturesque ruin and it's owned by the wellesley family for a while so the duke of wellington's family owns it for a while it's owned by his brother for a while. It passes through a couple of other lordly hands, and then in 1993 it's purchased by the Irish government. So it was owned by various families, but nobody was living there. Right, exactly. They're just sort of finding it amusing, I guess. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when we visited in 2005, one of the reasons that the tourism piece of it was so underdeveloped is that it hadn't been open to the public for very long. Oh. Because it was only purchased by the by the Irish government in 1993. And then there was conservation work that needed to happen. So when we came to see it in 2005 and it's this amazing, awesome, life-changing castle and we're in the gift shop and there's like nothing here.
0: (laughs) That is just so not usual and also very wrong. There's no postcards. There's nothing. There is nothing.
1: There's no tea shop. There are very kind of standard kitschy little Irish things, you know, in the gift shop. But there's absolutely nothing that is specific to trim. I'm sure it's different now. I'm sure it's different now, but at that point, there was very, very little, and it was because it hadn't been open very long. We're we're in the gift shop, and they just kind of casually mention, oh, yeah, Trim was used in Braveheart. It showed up in Braveheart. Were there any pictures or postcards about how it was used as a body double for York Castle in Braveheart? Because, of course, York Castle isn't there anymore. No, it was not. But they had your book. They did. They had the awesome guidebook about the castle with many many wonderful there are there are lots of diagrams in here there's there's floor by floor room layouts of the keep there's a artist rendering of what it looked like as the wooden castle there's lots of artistic renderings of what it looked like at different times
0: how many stories did it go up
1: it changed because it was built higher so it ends up being four, but it didn't start out as four. The keep was built higher by a later De Lacy.
0: hmm Okay.
1: Trim, in general, is a very rewarding sort of place to tourist because you not only have the castle, you have a couple of wonderful priories. It's all in ruins, but you can go see it. And there's just a lot. There's just a lot there to see. Um and of course, it's on the Boyne. That was their supply line from Drogda, the Norman supply line. It's not easy to use the Boyne for that because it's not a super deep river. So that ends up not being a thing that works real well in the long term, but that's how they were trying to use it. I'm trying to behave myself here because it was, it was such a thing. I have so many pictures, <laughs> so many pictures of, of Trim.
0: Who did the Irish government buy it from?
1: Oh, um, let me look in my little book here. There's, yeah, there's four levels. There's a basement level, and then there's three levels. It was owned by the Wellesleys until the older brother of the Duke of Wellington sold his Irish estates in 1816. Then it was purchased by Colonel Leslie of Glasgow in County Monaghan, and then that it was sold by that family in 1859 to... Some relatives, the Plunkets of Dunsany Castle, it was purchased from Lord Dunsany in 1993.
0: So are the Plunkets related to Oliver Plunkett, Blessed Oliver Plunkett?
1: Oh, that's a good question.
0: Is he a saint yet? Saint Oliver Plunkett? I don't know. I don't know either.
1: Yeah, it is maintained as a preserved ruin. So they're not doing repair work. And I think we talked about this when we talked about the tower in York, that... You have to decide, are you going to try to restore it? Or are you going to keep it from deteriorating any further? And that's what is being done in trim is it's a preserved ruin. They're making sure that it's not going to fall apart, but they're not trying to put it back together.
0: It's pretty much what what, uh, the English do with um, the abbeys and monasteries that still survive in ruins from... (laughs) Henry VIII, like bury Saint Edmunds, you know, it's there. They don't rebuild; they mm-hmm. keep it so that you can see it.
1: We're 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 kind of fortunate it's still there for the, those couple hundred years where it was being. I guess nobody wants to rob the Wellesleys. Because it was in the 18th and early 19th centuries that it was just being a picturesque ruin. But there are other Anglo Norman castles. So there's one over by Dundalk that is called Clanmore Castle, Clon- Clonmore Castle. And all that survives is one spiral staircase. It's actually sort of interesting. The archaeologists can, can tell you where the stone has gone to.
0: Oh, really? The d-
1: you- castle is gone, but over here is a 14th century church. Oh, look at that stone. Uh-huh. <laughs> Over here is a 16th century church. Oh, look at that stone.
0: It was used as a quarry. Mm-hmm, yeah. It, it just makes so much sense. It just makes so much sense. You've got a building nobody is using. It's got materials that are useful and that would be costing a lot more if you went and got them and got them new. Yeah, it makes so much sense.
1: And that did happen at Trim, but not. you know to the point where it's wiped off the face of the earth Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you're always going to have if you have a building sitting empty and you need to build something you're going to have people coming in and sure using it i mean that Mm -hmm. that's just logical
0: Mm -hmm. yeah if you if you leave one now you get squatters and you lose the copper pipes Yeah. yeah for sure and you know any nice trimmings i'm glad you got to talk about trim that's good i love trim
1: I, I just adore Trim. It would be, it would, if, if we ever end up in a situation where my husband ends up uh, doing a visiting position in Ireland, it would be a, like a dream to <laughs> go and tour guide at Trim. I love it. would yeah, yeah. be awesome.
0: But well, now I want to go. So are we done with our presentation of uh, the crime of assassinating Hugh DeLacy and the wonderful thing that he built.
1: Possibly, possibly deserved splitting of his head with an axe.
0: But what do you
1: expect when you're at the colonizer?
0: I really love the idea of this, this guy hiding this axe under his tunic. Just really, really? Well, I guess that would be a better idea than like hiding it under a bench. So you could get to it quickly. You would think really a knife might be easier to use is what I'm thinking.
1: I actually hadn't run across that, that specific
0: story of how he was assassinated. I had just read that he was assassinated. Yeah, I had to do some tracking stuff down, because but there's various things. I like the one where a stone just falls on his head.
1: I adore visiting castles. There was a little payback in my life. I went with my kid, the one that's studying clock repair, to, to a clock museum last week and had a moment of pity for everybody I've gone through a medieval castle with. <laughs> we we were looking at every clock in so much detail (laughs) i was like this is awesome i'm so glad for your obsession but my feet hurt (laughs) clearly alex got this from you we did we did see many many clocks and he would he would stand there and kind of stare at the innards and how, what is this one? What kind of engine is this one? How does it work? Okay. So that,
0: yeah. So more than just reading
1: placards. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He's having to really look at them, but they're not all the same. You know, each castle has its own story, right? So, so trim it's the height of its power is the 13th, 14th and 15th centuries. Whereas King John's castle in Limerick really becomes a very important site during the Civil War. Oh. And so it was retrofitted to make it a place they could defend against cannons, which is hard to do. Castles were not designed to be defensive against 17th century seventeenth-century cannons. So there's some interesting retrofitting that happened in, in Limerick. So you read about them on paper and you think they're going to be very similar because they're both Anglo-Norman castles, but not really. Because the one in Limerick the height of its construction is so much later. It has barracks in a way that Trim doesn't. It's much more of a place we come and defend, not a place where a family lives.
0: Yeah, and the Tower in London is is so different because it's got you know, hundreds of years of people living there, and or it being you know, it's been a prison, it's been a zoo, it's been yeah. residences. And so it keeps it got built on and built on and built on.
1: And that has that has that history of being a royal royal castle, which is which is different.
0: Yeah, a royal castle and a royal castle within a place which is fairly safe. It's, it's not the same thing as being out in Meath. Yeah. So, so I mean, I know that this is we're indulging
1: my particular obsession because I love castles in general, and I really love Trim in particular. But they are really connected to to crime. So many of these crimes that they that these royal guys do to each other happen in oh sure oh sure castles. One of the things that happens in Trim is during the the war that makes Henry the Fourth king. You know he deposes Richard II. Richard the Second Lee captures and leaves
0: Henry the son Hal a prisoner in Trim. That's true. That's true. I'd forgotten that. Yeah. Well, I'm very glad we got to do castles. So I got saffron, you got castles. It's very nice. Oh, what are we doing next? I forgot to look. Oh, that's a good question. Let me look. I got a list.
1: We are talking about another. Oh, this is going to be awesome. I don't know anything about this. This is Jerusalem 1134. So more Normans. The Queen of Jerusalem is accused of infidelity by her husband, leading to trial by combat and a palace coup. All right. So that will more Normans behaving badly. They're behaving badly in the Holy
0: Land. We won't be in Europe, so this will be a special, but we will be with Normans, you know, so there's that. Yeah. And trial by combat, which is always yeah, fun. Yeah, it's always fun. Since we did the Templars, we haven't been able to talk much about the Franks in the Holy Land. We've done a bunch of crusade stuff. Yeah, we haven't actually done much yet. I think
1: this is why I put this on this list. We, we have not done much yet with the kind of intrigue that happened among the Europeans. Once they got there and established a toehold, they immediately started stabbing each other in the back.
0: Yeah. What a surprise. What a surprise. I a know. Surprise. Surprise. Much like they were behaving at
1: home. They just made themselves at home. So
0: that's what we're doing the next time we show up. We're going to be talking about uh, the Normans misbehaving in Jerusalem. And that's, but this is, we've been in Ireland with the Normans today. This has been True Crime Medieval, where the crimes are just like they are today, only with less technology. We can be found at truecrimemedieval.com. True Crime Medieval is all one word. And the podcast is on Spotify and Apple Podcast and other places where podcasts are hanging out. And when you if you go to truecrimemedieval.com, you can also uh, link to the, there's links to the podcast there along with show notes and transcripts and little illustrations and things of, that I write, little verbs I write. And you can leave us comments. And we um, all, we really appreciate it also when you leave us medieval crimes that you think we should pay attention to. We'll always take that into account. Yeah. We'd love to hear from you. And I believe that's it for today. Bye. Bye.